Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is America's Sports Voice. GigaMOX. That call from Bally Sports Midwest as Missouri got a nice win over the course of the weekend. They continue their really, really good run to start the season. Dennis Gates has this team really rolling. They are now 10-1 and after they were able to pick up the 68-66 win against Central Florida as part of the Orange Bowl Basketball Classic being played in Sunrise, Florida. To talk Missouri basketball, also to talk a little World Cup soccer, you have heard him uh, here on KMOX. He has uh, been broadcasting the uh, City 2 games. He is uh, Nate Gatter. You see him on uh, SEC uh, Network Plus, at Nate Gatter on Twitter. Hey, Nate, how are you? I'm good, Matt. How are you? Nate, by the way, joining us on the Quiver River guest line. Uh, That was quite the win for uh, Missouri Tigers. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for joining us. I was kind of curious what it was going to look like, what kind of bounce back they would have after that one-sided loss against Kansas. And and that's not a bad Central Florida team. Uh, It's a neutral site, but it was kind of a road game because they were down in the state of Florida and they were able to come up with enough plays. They, They come up with one more play than Central Florida and come away with the win. Yeah, I think uh, I think your point is exactly right. That you know, I think a lot of people were were expecting or at least hoping for a, a pretty substantial bounce back because that loss to Kansas, well, predictable, was nonetheless disappointing. And, and I think even if Mizzou fans would have been uh, resigned to the fact that it was going to be an uphill battle, losing by 28 points at home is, is a tough pill to swallow, no matter what. So I, you know, it's good to see them bounce back. And like you said, that that's not a bad UCF team. You know, a, a win over Ole Miss on the road lost by two to, to Miami on their resume and overtime went over Oklahoma state or went over Florida state. So, you know, they've given problems to some power conference schools this year. Um, and, and as you said, you know, neutral site is maybe selling it a little bit short, maybe more of a 75, 25 uh, of UCF home game. Um, so, you know, m- maybe not the easiest game in the world to have to try to get right before this really tough stretch they have coming up, but, uh, and definitely didn't win it pretty. I mean, a, a game in the sixties has not been the trend for them this year. Generally a high scoring team that uh, has, has put up a lot of points and given up a lot of points in, in stark contrast to the, the Conzo Martin era. So uh, really just sort of an odd game. And uh, you know, obviously you don't draw it up to have a guy on the floor with the assist to uh, a guy who banks in a 35 footer to win it. But uh, I think uh, with where Mizzou is right now, they'll take it. We'll look at the start of SEC play in a moment because this five-game stretch is a really, really tough stretch, but just this three-game stretch where it's going uh, Kansas, Central Florida, Illinois, it really felt like that Central Florida game, if there is a trap game, that could have been it between the Kansas and Illinois. So I think even more credit goes their way for finding a way to win. 
Yeah, if anything, you know, it's funny you say that because I, I think that would be especially true if they had won the Kansas game. I guess if there's any silver lining to losing it, it's that, you know, UCF then, forget about trap game, it almost becomes a must win in this stretch of, you know, the Kansas before, then Illinois in, in the bragging rights game on Thursday. And then, as you said, you know, SEC play starts tough with Kentucky at home and Arkansas on the road. So, you know, it's almost uh, it almost was must win for UCF or, or for Mizzou against UCF, I should say, because, you know, now they've got a tough matchup against Illinois, and, and you could have been – it wouldn't have been out of the realm of possibility, let's say, if that Golston shot doesn't bank home, that Mizzou could have gone from a 10-0 start to a five-game losing streak, which is just a devastating blow in the middle of the season. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, if nothing else, this puts them in a better place mentally going into a, a really, really tough three games. It's interesting just when you look at what their schedule has been – where, with all due respect to all of their opponents, even Wichita State, who is not great this year and they've lost some more games, they go from playing that schedule, which was one of the easier schedules in all of college basketball, to all of a sudden going Kansas, Illinois, Kentucky, Arkansas in four or five games. I don't know if there's another team in the nation that's going to have the pivot that they're having. No, I wouldn't think so. And, you know, that's, that's sort of why I say, I mean, losing by 28 points at home to a, to a massive rival is bad, no matter what. There's no way around it. I was surprised by the optimism that I saw among Mizzou fans in the lead-up to that game, and to be fair, by the optimism I saw from Vegas about Mizzou in the lead-up to that game. So it's it's not all on Mizzou fans. You know, there were, the experts were expecting that game to be played, you know, within five points, uh, and that just didn't work out. And I was always skeptical. I don't know that I thought they were going to lose by 28, but like you say, you know, that, that schedule was not a gauntlet to start the season. And we're talking about a team that gave up 91 to Southern Indiana, 85 to Penn, 80 to SIUE, you know, 89 to SEMO. And now they were winning all those games. And in some cases, like the SIUE game, they put up over 100 and won comfortably. But I think when you're giving up that many points to those kind of teams, you're putting a tremendous amount of onus on, in particular, your shooting in, in a matchup like they had against Kansas. And if Mizzou has an off night like they did against Kansas, makes some uncharacteristic mistakes, turns the ball over in the first half, those sorts of things, your defense is just not going to be there for you. I think they've proven that, right? You hear a lot, especially toward the end of the season, about defense travels, defense wins in the NCAA tournament. You know, defense is, is something that you should be able to count on night in and night out because defense isn't going to go cold. And I think what we're finding out with this Mizzou team, at least where they are right now, is their high upside but low floor, right? High yeah. ceiling, low floor, I guess you would say, because they can score 100. I think they could score 90-plus against almost anybody. You know, if the shots are falling, they can score with any team in the country almost. But if the shots aren't falling, they can lose by 20-plus to just about any decent team. And so that, you know, it, I guess it's fun if, if you look at it as there's a tremendous amount of volatility and they're a team that can upset, you know, a better opponent on paper any given night, and there are worse things than that. Uh, but I think it also means that there are going to be very few, if any, comfortable games for Mizzou in SEC play. So I don't even know what the question is that I'm asking here because I, I want to be respectful of all situations going on. But the the Isaiah Mosley thing is weird. He didn't play some games, and and, and Gates is saying, you know what? There, there's there's no like player discipline issues here. There's some personal stuff going on. And me personally, I'm always going to be respectful of the personal issues. And then you see him play the nine minutes against Central Florida, and he doesn't score. And he played a little bit against Southeast Missouri State. He 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 didn't score. I, I just 
I don't know. I, like Again, I don't know what the question is here, but it certainly does feel like they need him, they need him more, and whatever the situation is, it would be nice if it could get figured out. Yeah, it's confusing. Um, obviously, like you say, the first thing is that if there are private things that need to remain private, then that's how it is. Um, and, uh, you know, clearly something has changed for him um, compared to where he was last year when he was playing at a level that few, if any, mid-major players in the country were when he was at Missouri State. And so, you know, perhaps something has changed uh, behind the scenes in his personal life, whatever, since then. Um, we don't know, and we really can't speculate about it. I will say this. I think the Mizzou, the media who cover Mizzou, I don't want to say the Mizzou media because that implies that they, they work for or support the university in some way. They are just the independent media covering Mizzou in this state. I think shies away sometimes from these sorts of stories and perhaps understandably so perhaps the journalists who cover the team on a regular basis know the actual reason through their sourcing or through their back channeling and have made the decision that, that, that they don't think it's responsible to report that because of the nature of the information, which is perfectly fine. That said, some of the messaging I see, including from journalists who cover the program on a regular basis, not the biggest name ones, not the ones in St. Louis and in Kansas city, but some of the journalists who cover the program is about how it's none of our business. What's going on with him and I do agree to a certain extent if it's, a, if it's something of a personal nature. Now, the uncomfortable conversation to have about that, though, is especially when you focus on the word business. In an NIL world, it is the very literal business of a decent number of people, not the average Mizzou fan, maybe not me, maybe not you. But there are people who have invested a not insignificant amount of resources in getting Isaiah Mosley to Columbia not because they so badly wanted him to enroll at Mizzou, but because they so badly wanted him to represent Mizzou on the court and do the things that he was doing for Missouri State. Does that mean that he's beholden to do that no matter what is going on in his personal life? Of course not. But I do think his story could be an interesting cautionary tale, potentially, for NIL circumstances. Um, and I hope uh, that it doesn't end up having an adverse effect on what some of those Mizzou boosters might be willing to do from an NIL standpoint mm. in the future to try to attract a similarly high-profile transfer if what ends up happening this year is that some boosters shell out a substantial amount of money and in return Isaiah Mosley rarely plays and is not effective. That's one heck of an answer when I didn't even know what the question was. So kudos to you on that. It's I didn't even – like. Are from what you're hearing, like, is there frustration from some of these people who are connected to that world in the university? I don't want to go that far. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not deep enough in to be talking about university sources or anything of that nature. Um, I think that I think the thread emotionally that I see among Missouri fans is pretty consistent, which is they feel frustrated, but not necessarily with Isaiah. Certainly not with Isaiah. Maybe at the beginning there was a little bit of frustration with Dennis Gates about how he chose to handle it. But, again, he, if that means he's having to take heat for a kid, you know, that's part of his job, yeah. and I think we should respect that as well. Um, so I don't see a lot of animosity being directed toward him or toward Isaiah, certainly, or any of that. I see a lot of people who, like we've talked about, are understanding of the fact that if you have personal things going on, sometimes that interferes with whatever else is going on in your life. And that can apply even if you're a professional athlete who makes a lot of money, right? That sometimes those guys, you know, things happen. Um, 
I think the frustration is more just about the circumstances, right? It, the Mizzou fans have this complex about how anything that can go wrong will go wrong and all of that. Um, and, and so I think that's more than anything. It's the, the disappointment rather than the frustration of feeling like they were so excited about this big-name guy who was coming in. This is the sort of guy that Mizzou doesn't always get, doesn't often get. And they were so excited to see what he could do. And it just feels like we've never gotten on track for factors that they can't even put their finger on. And that is obviously a frustrating and disappointing thing, even if that frustration and disappointment is not directed at anyone in the sense of any animosity. That's my feeling, and, I, and that's what I've, what I've seen represented is just a lot of people sad, I guess, that it hasn't worked out better so far and losing hope that it will work out better in the future. I think there is still some hope, and obviously there's still a lot of season left to play. So hopefully for the kids' sake, as well as for the team's sake, um, that can all get moving in the right direction. Um, but regardless, the most important thing is, is his health and well-being. Nate Gatter continues to join us. Let's switch gears, talk a little soccer yesterday, World Cup uh, wrapping up. Uh, Argentina gets a win uh, in, in, in penalties, and they um, everybody's saying this is the greatest World Cup final that that's ever been played. I am not one to speak to that, but you are. Where does yesterday's game rank, and how much did you enjoy the way that match played out? I think it has to be number one, um, primarily because of the, that word enjoy. Um, I think a lot of times, as much as I love the sport and we all love the spectacle of something like the World Cup, it's in many cases disappointing when you get to the final, because the pressure is so immense that even for players of that ability and of that professionalism and of that experience, it can be overwhelming and difficult to cope with that level of pressure, literally billions of people watching the game. And so sometimes that, that game devolves into 90 minutes of 22 grown men standing on the field, praying that they are not the one who makes a life defining and country affecting mistake. Right. They are just they're all paralyzed by that fear. And so we don't get to see a lot of the positivity, a lot of the open play, a lot of the aggression that we really like to see where teams are pushing the issue and and trying to force the pace and creating action. And soccer, unfortunately, this is one of the only things that to criticize about it is that if two teams want to play that way, they can't if they want to play in a very cagey way where they just sort of feel each other out and are afraid to open themselves up. They can. These two teams did not do that. And that is just rare in a game of this magnitude and it was phenomenal to watch the end-to-end stuff and then you add into that the narratives of what this meant for Messi's career and having you know that now I think the inarguably greatest player of his generation potentially the greatest player of all time putting it out there maybe for the last time in a truly competitive fixture for Argentina against the player who maybe is already the best in the world as it stands and certainly the man who is pushing to take over that mantle next, if he hasn't already taken it, in Kylian Mbappe, who was just as good, if not better, than Messi on the day. And it just wasn't quite enough. I mean, it, just phenomenal. The narrative, it, it had literally everything that you wanted in a sporting event. I cannot imagine how there could have been more drama, more excitement, more, better quality of play, or better narratives. And uh, I, would, I hope that a lot of maybe soccer agnostic folks in the U.S. were tuned in because I can think of uh, no better advertisement for the game or, or for that matter, advertisement for St. Louis City joining Major League Soccer uh, and bringing the game to our city at the top level in this country in just a couple of months. Not to take it down, but should a World Cup final be decided in PKs? 
It's frustrating. Uh, I don't like penalties. I don't think anybody likes penalties. It's a question of what solution can you pose to solve the problem. Um, And I haven't heard a lot that I really like. The benefit of penalties is the drama. Um, And I don't think it's the worst thing in the world that that goalkeeping, which sometimes is on the back burner, can can come to the forefront. Um, I would prefer something that, that tries to preserve something approaching real soccer even into into all the way to the end to deciding a winner um the only solution that i have ever thought of in my own mind and this is just me throwing things out there people can like it or not like it is rather than the current extra time system when you get to the end of 90 minutes we're just going to play successive 10 minute extra time periods the game could end at the end of any one of those 10 minute segments if one team or the other is ahead. No goal and goal, but only 10 minute segments rather than the current 30 full minutes that has to be played. And starting at the 90 minute mark, when we begin extra time with each session, each team has to take a player off. So the first extra time is 10 v 10, then 99, 8v8, 7v7, mm. and we go until. And I hope that as you create all that more space on the field, kind of like hockey going down to three on three, that you would find a goal pretty quickly and that hopefully you would have a winner within the first two periods of extra time certainly within the first three and that would so i mean by that point you're down to eight v eight and that would be getting to 120 minutes which is the amount they play now so it wouldn't be asking any more of the players physically i think it would be the rare game that would go beyond that and get to 130 or 140 and at that point you're down to 77 and 66 and i would think the goals would have to be flying in left and right mike claiborne today said go unlimited substitutions once you get into uh once you finish regulation sure i mean uh, yeah at that point you know you'd be staring at potentially i mean uh, a whole other game right that that you'd be you'd be basically resetting and potentially having 11 new players on the field by the end um, I think World Cup, I don't remember the exact size of the squad. I want to say it's like 20, it was 26 for this World Cup, I think. And, you know, so two of those are going to be backup goalkeepers, but you're going to have, uh, you know, what is that, like 13, 14 players who are who are available as substitutes. So, I, yeah, I'm not totally opposed to that. Um, you know, but then it's, I think if we had a game, especially if you went 11 v 11 the whole time, it wouldn't be out of the question to have a game that goes another 45 minutes yeah. or more without a goal you'd probably have to play golden goal, which has ramifications and you're staring at the possibility of then a world cup final being decided. And the likes of Messi and Mbappe are no longer on the field because they have to come to pure human exhaustion. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's worth exploring. I don't know that it'll ever happen, but I don't know anybody who says, yeah, penalties are my favorite thing in the world. So I think everybody's open to a solution. If we could find one, he is Nate Gatter. You see him doing a Missouri games on SEC network. Plus you heard him here on KMOX doing uh, the city, uh, two games, Nate, always great to talk to you. Thank you so much for your uh, expertise and we'll talk to you again real soon. Thank you, sir. Have a great night. All right. Very good. There's Nate Gatter. I'm Matt Pauley. This is sports open line on KMOX.